Greetings programs, welcome to Animatronic, the podcast talking about episodes of Disney's animated television show, Tron Uprising. My name is Duncan Shields, host of Tronologically Speaking, the movie-by-minute podcast talking about 1982's movie, Tron. And I'm Courtney Coulson, reviewing Tron Legacy one minute at a time on Legacy Minute. Episode 14. So this episode is called Tagged. You'll find out why. And this is where the renegade recruits three fearless and talented pranksters. <laughs> and I uh, am a huge fan, like a huge fan of this episode. I've said that about a few episodes so far. I always mean it. This is no exception. I love what this episode brings to the grid. Yeah. So and get... also it's nice to just have more time with Mara. She's pretty great. Yeah. We got a little recap showing the stranger and the fact that Tron has faith in Beck and his inspiring of the, his, his ability to inspire the public. So we've got uh, the main square and there's someone Batmaning up top. I love that that's a verb now in my lexicon. They can just Batman yep. around. This program runs down into a nook of uh, screens of like, this is the main square. So there's like 200 super colorful screens. It's the most colorful part of Argos or Argon. So this program runs down into a nook of screens and puts on something we haven't seen before. He puts on a highly reflective silver glove of circuitry mm. and uh, like a real 80s chrome glove. Like remember those uh, 80s chrome sexy robots and stuff like that that when this, air, you know this whole sequence is peak 80s you got the music going on with oh the yeah synthy drum oh yeah and the tron font and yeah. it's just um yes but uh who did that art of the sexy chrome robot ladies i forget his name i forget his name it was a, a japanese artist i believe but i, I forget his name we could look I it up. Will look that, yeah, I'll look that up in the background while we continue to talk. And For sure. So this, I'm uh, wondering if yeah. if programs can actually draw in a messy kind of non-linear way because this program, when he draws two lines, those are ruler straight, my friend. I don't think they can. I, that's one thing that I love to to speculate on is that there's no sketchy diciness in the uh, in the grid. Everything's super accurate, no matter how All hard you try. Would be just vector art. Yeah, you know, a collection of squares and circles. If you can somehow make like the the pastiche backgrounds, the sort of complicated collage pastel backgrounds of uh, uh, that other city, Pergos right mm. the sort of the slum quote unquote of pergos yeah. you know that's messy but it's messy with like transparency and and geometric shapes so it's it's possible well, it's like if you were trying to make uh like fur texture or, or hair in illustrator and using the pen tool and it's just yeah it, 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 you can do it but it takes way more work 100% yeah, i think that's exactly what we're looking at so this program puts on its highly reflective silver glove of circuitry and then pulls out some sort of elongated sword slash key looking thing. And uh, it's like a, and then it turns into kind of like a lightsaber, a lightsaber thing that stabs this beam of violent light into the sky and it shuts down all the screens. And then the program starts finger painting. And like you said, they're like these perfect 
these neon graffiti finger lines that are exactly one inch apart and they turn at a, a you know a, a, a 90 degree angle with a nice curve to it with a nice bezier curve on it and he's doing it with his glove so he's finger painting right on the wall and then but then this graffiti propagates and it spells out tron lives over and over again all over the town square on and off of the screens, like onto the building itself, like not just the display terminals, but the actual code of the building. And um, the synth wave, like you mentioned, is just blasting. And the parts of the lines that are taking over that aren't actual text are like uh, that 3D pipes screensaver from like old computers, which is like that, just a, a massive, uh, procedurally generated yeah. pipes you know just turning it 90 degrees over and over again oh man i sh we should bring this back i'm gonna put that on my computer now yeah it's just but there's all this they're all violet and teal really really bright vibrant colors and a bunch of them are at like you know kind of turned 45 degrees angle like they're, they're on the side of a an 80s pop you know soda can or something like that they look fantastic Oh, by the way, it's uh, Hajime Soriyama. That's the, the guy. Chrome, chrome ladies. Yeah, sexy chrome ladies. <laughs> that was uh, that was a big thing. Yeah, he it was is all such over. an iconic look from that time. Yeah, for sure, right? Because you could only you could fully realize that kind of painting in the eighties with with airbrushing. There was some artistic techniques that made it possible, so everybody went mm -hmm. whole hog. <laughs> like that's like when we suddenly had the gradient tools in the nineties yeah. and everything was was gradients even oh, yeah. when they didn't need to be. Yeah. And uh there's actually an article I found that was really interesting that explores how aesthetics from well the industrial age onwards are largely defined by the technology that's available. Well so like yeah, that's like recently, right? Like we, we finally cracked how to make blue LEDs mm. like not that long ago. So that's why they're yeah. apt. all Christmas lights, you know, all, you know, suddenly you've got blue LEDs everywhere because they're like a real, yeah, a real, I didn't think of that. A real novelty because we find it's like uh, blue fireworks being really hard to create. Huh. Know? And they find a cheap way to do it suddenly. Hey, let's make it 50% blue fireworks because nobody's ever seen that before. And uh, that 90s, early 2000s kind of, uh, I guess, kind of a cyberpunk te techno future aesthetic is all this goopy round shapes because suddenly you can manufacture things in this round blobby shape, which yeah. you couldn't do before. Yeah, yeah. That was a really big thing in the 60s was make these like plastic, yeah. you know, pre-processed, manufactured, mass-produced round shapes because up until then everything that was mass produced had sharp edges and was rectangular but it was a real trip to make something smooth to the touch but made of something like plastic that was yeah yeah i wonder definitely. what our next thing is because it feels like we can do anything now well i think the next thing's going to be like deep fakes something to do with deep fakes or something to yeah, do it won't with be in the physical world augmented reality or or something like that there'll be uh there'll be a, an aesthetic uh, but it'll involve a new technology that we don't that we don't is not quite in all of our homes yet, but will be shortly, I think. Because when it comes to fashion, it's more uh, there is wearable technology and stuff, and there is a little bit of interest in that. But it's mo it's quite exotic. It's not something that we're seeing in our day to day lives. Yeah. Mostly, what we're seeing now is the rise of tech wear, and we're spending more money on clothing that is 
practical and kind of the sort of stuff you would expect to wear, you know, working out or sure. camping or anything yeah. like that. We're not spending money on tailored outfits, suits and stuff. That's not what my generation generally spends money on. Yeah, it's very much like uh, the way cars have become functional. The, the difference yep. between oh, don't get me complaining i've been watching knight right? rider i'm just like damn that is a <laughs> sexy vehicle why can we not have something like that now everything's kind of become function you know and there's elon there's... elon buddy just get the 82 trans am just buy the 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 license to that whatever it is put the tesla bits and pieces inside of it put the ai in there give me kit okay or car k-a-r we just yeah. want some kit or car or some turbo boost. Is that too much to ask? Mm. By the way, I watched the episode, the second appearance of Car. So the first one, he's voiced by Peter Collin, and it just mm-hmm. sounds like Optimus trying to do an impression of a robot. Yeah. Uh, and then the second appearance, he sounds like Bane. Just a fun fact. Just sounds like Tom Hardy. Oh, well, there you go. Cool. Yeah, it's been full on doing so that voice. long, so long since I've seen those particular episodes. But back to yeah. this episode. Oh, this isn't the Night Rider podcast. No, oh. there's something. Uh, there's something about graffiti on the grid that just makes me giddy. It makes me so happy yes. to see. I just, I'm just it's like getting all altered carbon. Yeah, right. And now, like this, it's like you were talking about. Like this is as close to sketchy messiness that it's possible that we've seen. You know that mm. it's that that you can do on the grid. You know, and this this whole like this is the first time I think we've really been exposed to like the chaos of. A manufactured breakdown and graffiti, propagating graffiti, right? This is that. And the like, way they have to clean it, pixel by pixel, is yeah. Great. When we get into that, when we get into that part, that's like so awesome. Because okay, so a shoulder pad dude guard finds him and says, "Stop violation, penal code one one three. And then we get a profile of this graffiti artist, and we can see this is, and I just lose my mind whenever this happens. He's got a big cartoon shark smile on his helmet, like that takes up half of his face. Just one of those big, like just big triangle teeth smile, and I and I love it, and it's glowing. Yeah, it just it reminds me of. Oh, I was calling him the the dead dead mouse Banksy. Yeah, because it is that real stark graphic thing. I, yeah, so cool. Yeah, uh, it was in it was in an anime called Summer Wars. There was a rogue AI, and whenever it took over a program, a way that you could tell it was taken over by this AI was a big shark mouth that it had just kind of stuck on its face like a sticker, and it was so so cool. Huh? I wa- that would have just come out before so 2009. I wonder if they were maybe inspired by that. It's very similar. I don't know. It's possible. There might have just been one of those aesthetics that got passed around that that year or two that everybody sort of arrived at on their own always weird when that happens yeah there's something about the big cartoon shark mouth smile that i saw everywhere for like two years and this was this was part of it so it's like that s symbol that kids to this day still put in the notebooks where did it come from we do not know do not know it's just i think it's just a mathematically generated thing that everybody discovers at some point right hmm. so i don't know but uh we get it yeah we get this cool profile with the shark smile um he evades the guards but he does it by like splitting into copies which is uh 
you know, he's like, what the, the guard's like, wait a second. He was just over there. And then, so they decide to split up and he gets cornered into a dead end. And the guard's like, the jig is up. But then he sees the shark mouth and he's like, wait, you're not. And then he gets shocked from behind by another shark mouth. And they're joined by a third shark mouth program, which is a, a woman. So there's like two men and a woman. And then they all dash off. And then we cut to that great shot of more of those shoulder pad guards and they're cleaning the graffiti, but they've got these uh, like long vacuum cleaners or like the, the, like the type of pole you would use to change the letters on a movie marquee, you yeah. know, something like that. But, and, but <laughs> they're literally cleaning the graffiti like pixel by pixel. They're just like vacuuming off like a, a one inch by one inch piece and then another <laughs> one inch by one inch piece. And it pans out. Well, that's their job for the next 100 cycles. It really looks like it's going to take a lot because it pans out and you can see that, like, you know, there's four or five of them, but they're, this is the skyscraper that they're trying to clean, you know, chip by chip. So it's, uh, there's, they're going to be at it for like a year or two. It's so good. It's so, <laughs> so good. So back at Tron headquarters, Beck and Tron are talking about these, uh, their fan club. You know, because Tron is zoomed in on the graffiti. Beck wants I love to... Beck's face. He's like, so when do we bring him in? <laughs> yeah. he's He wants to recruit them, but Tron is like, I love Tron's like, dude, they're vandals. You know, like <laughs> these aren't rebels. These aren't terrorists. These are vandals. And Tron like eventually relents, but he's a bit of a jerk about it. He's like, hey, remember, if you do bring them in, remember the price. You know, he's not, uh, he's not easygoing about it. Does his it is interesting though that again. he doesn't uh, Tron doesn't straight up say oh we're not recruiting anyone else to the cause and so there is this possibility that oh they could be a whole heap of rebels could be a bit a Star Wars situation well I also understand like what I'm starting to become very conscious of what Tron doesn't say mm. like he's like you can't go around recruiting a lot of people because I did that already and it was a horrible idea. Like whenever he says yeah. like whenever he says something to Beck about that's not the way to go about it, I get the impression that he did that once. And it really yeah. it the people died. And I did, don't do it. You know, and uh but he doesn't come out and say it, you know, in the same way that he's keeping the stranger in the prison a secret. You know, I think uh I think he may have he may have took all comers at one point and then they all got killed yeah maybe i think that i mean that makes the most sense that if this uh, coup happens your immediate response is okay well i need to band together with as many people as i can yeah yeah so it's kind of a strange thing where we've just got the apprentice and the master and nobody else but that's what happens in this episode is beck's like we are going to need to swell our numbers Mm. at some point i mean what are we doing here you know so i find that we beck doesn't often you know what you're saying about with tron it's what he doesn't say i don't know if beck totally realizes just how secretive tron is no beck's not too up on that i don't think beck's up beck's still fairly naive and i don't know how much of that is elijah wood coming through and how much of that is the is the, 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 the writing of the character, but there's, yeah, there's something about him that's still not too quick on the uptake with the darker complexities of everything that's on the table here, which mm. is cool. It gives him a fairly elegant simplicity. He's like, well, yeah. those, those are the bad guys. We take them out. 
what's the issue? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's kind of cool to have someone like that around too. You know, the certainty of youth, I think, injects a little fuel into Tron's plans. So. Uh, oh, um, and then Beck was also like, oh, you're making a joke. That's a good thing. Was it, was it a joke? Because what Tron says is, you mean my fan club rather than Beck's yeah. fan club. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of, it's a quip, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't say Beck lives, boy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it makes no one cares me wonder. if you live or die. I mean, oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like, remember at the end of um, War Games? Yeah. When Joshua, the computer, says the only winning move is not to play. Mm. And we've got Flynn trapped in the computer, and he's become a total recluse monk. Ah. Who's not doing anything to antagonize Clue because he's like, that's what Clue wants me to do. And it makes me, and Tron sort of seems like he's being so careful that he's almost not really doing anything. Like without, right. without Bex needling and pushing, Tron would just kind of like be sitting in his fortress of solitude there spying on everybody. And so I wonder if there's this sort of insinuation that once a program lives long enough, they end up not doing anything. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, that's... I mean that. It's that's something I've been thinking a lot about with Transformers. You know, they live for millions of years. Just right. What What, what is life like at that point? How does your perception of time, your the sense of urgency? You know, you're definitely getting that with Beck and Tron. That Beck is is champing at the bit. He wants to do more. He wants to get out there. And Tron's very much reserved. And he, he I think his concept of time is probably different to Beck's. Yeah. No. Definitely. For sure. It made me think of um, Han Solo and Chewbacca. There was this really cool tweet that somebody was saying about how Chewbacca's, I mean, Wookiees live like something like four or 500 years or, or 200 mm. years or something like that. They live for quite a long time, whereas humans live on average, you know, for, you know, whatever, between 65 and 80. So his life debt to Han won't actually last that long yeah it's sort of like having a life debt to a dog yeah so it's like han is like wookie's pet is like chewy's pet human like he could have like five han solos over the course of his life he could like have five pet human just go out let a human save his life and then you know boot around the galaxy for a while and you know but there's there's still honest affection there between much like there would be between uh between a dog and his master but I like that idea. Again, that's something I've been thinking about a lot because of Transformers. Just okay. So if you're a Transformer and you befriend a human, what what is that dynamic like? You can't help but sort of infantilize this human or see sure. them as a pet, right? Because they're just so so little and cute, and they don't live very long. Yeah, they're thinking meat, which is in and of itself a very strange thing. I think for a robot race to encounter. Oh you know, yeah, like... there is also that. Yeah, <laughs> didn't think of that. There's that short, there's that short story called the meat. Yeah, I was thinking about like sentient meat. But what? So how do they? What? Are they? It's it's so good. It's so good. So what do they eat? Meat. So, but what do they talk out of? Meat. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, going back a little bit. Uh, War Games is the best AI story ever told. It's just mm, mm, it's so good. Perfect. Top notch. Top notch. Yep. 
stands up to this day, which it has no right to. 1980s technology is so primitive, and yet the movie is timeless. Still really good. So uh, uh, one of those attack choppers lands in the main, we cut to the main square. A chopper lands in the main square, letting Paige out, which is cool because we haven't seen her in quite some time. Mm. And they're uh, detaining all of the passengers on a train. They're like, don't let those programs go anywhere. And so she goes into one of the cars and there's like a, a just a black, <laughs> there's a black box in the middle of this empty train car. And there's a super nervous program you know, I love the secrets. He's in a full sheath of red body armor like we haven't seen before. It's like a bomb disposal armor. Like, you know how uh, the mechanics have like a shoulder pad or an elbow pad or, or a helmet or something like that. He's got just a full full body set of green of uh red glowing armor and so i was thinking if i do any tron uprising cosplay i would love to incorporate some of that yeah. transparent armor stuff oh yeah if you could somehow get it so it would uh you know shine a light on the edge of it and the whole thing kind of lights up like oh yeah because i've yeah. seen people do the mass effects holographic weaponry and stuff so it's possible. yeah it's possible so page gets impatient and bats him aside and goes to open it herself and she i said, just love that she's on the warpath she just the moment she shows up it's like oh, what is this shit let's get it over and done yeah. with marches in don't let anybody go anywhere i'm going into that train car out of my way i'm gonna defuse the bomb like yeah she's she's on it but uh she does set it off unfortunately the sides of the box flop open revealing a glowing tessellated sphere that's counting down from five in tron font numbers so i thought it was kind of funny that the clock on the wall two episodes ago had to be gibberish for a long period of time but this clock can be five four three two one because it's just counting down seconds i was like okay yeah it's one scene it's pretty easy it's inconsistent, but I can roll with it. I'm like, okay, it's fine. So they dive for cover, but the bomb... Maybe Pavel's clocks are just his own devising. Yeah. He doesn't think that the, the usual clock system is efficient enough, so he has now devised his own version. I've invented numbers. They're way better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the bomb goes off, and it's a graffiti bomb. So every splat of paint is just a little... You know, like you flicked a paintbrush at every wall and every splat of paint starts to write Tron lives in neon letters all over the inside and outside of the Even train. on page. Even on page and on the train station. There are like hundreds of squiggles on page herself and she is angry. Then uh, team... Angrier. Angrier. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, team Shark Smile runs away talking and laughing. One of them's British, which is very strange. I'm like, uh... Are there nationalities in the grid? You know, like yeah, that's uh, that's something in a lot of science fiction things, especially that bothers me. It's just like if if there's going to be a variety of accents, you got to explain that. Yeah, right. I'm like, well, I mean, you could have British programmers, I guess. If you're going to be made in your own image, I figure that's. But then you don't hear anybody speaking French. I don't know, or speaking Japanese or whatever. Like if if you were created by. That's a whole other... Maybe alley. Flynn was just... He, he was watching some British TV. He was like, you know what? Let's throw some accents in there. Let's throw some in there. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a universal translator program in there, I'm sure. That's just to a, just a hand wave all that stuff away. Guy who voices the British character, uh, Rasket or Raske, as he Ruske. insists, 
Yeah, he he's one of those that guys. You definitely know him if you see him, but I don't remember his name, and I I can't tell you specifically what he's from. It's just bit parts in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Uh, but as they're running away, oh, and it turns out the the woman is the planner. The woman program is like this is you know, you guys did great with my plan. So she's the one that's sort of calling all the shots. I think. But then a program steps into their path and throws out a sphere that turns into a transparent bubble prison, trapping them all. If you're is... watching it with subtitles, uh, the mystery of their identities is uh, no mystery at all. Oh, it's shoot. given away immediately. <laughs> That's a, Sometimes in the subtitles, it'll be like, you know, the person who is the killer all along says, you're like, oh, <laughs> subtitles? Why did you do that? <laughs> But, uh, the power subtitle makers hold. They go, uh, they go all dormant and sleep like bats, just hanging in midair. It's so cool. They're like, "What? No!" Ah, uh, they just <clears throat> like they're like they're hooked on meat hooks in midair. They're just hanging. Have in we there. seen this before? I we have. We've seen this. Type we've never seen this before. This is a brand new weapon out of nowhere that would have come in real handy in earlier episodes. Maybe it's something that uh, was just given to to Beck because this is yeah. This is achievement Beck. unlocked. Achievement unlocked. Bubble bubble grenade prison. Yeah. So, uh, they wake up in some construction ruins, and uh, the program is lecturing them about the nature of their crimes. And I love. It gets the... very confusing when you watch a show. I think this is the third time watching all the way through, but then watching specific episodes multiple times. So then you have no clue what is reality and what happened before which other thing. Yeah, time is an illusion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I love when he's uh, he's 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 lecturing them about that. He's like, he's like, you guys, you know, you you're walking around and 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 you know, doing vandalism and and doing graffiti and. Uh, and I love their responses here because one of them, the the the, the British guy says, it's not vandalism, it's free code. And <laughs> then uh, the woman says, you know, it's not lies, it's true. And then the third program tries to say, I've got no idea who these two people are. <laughs> so I, I love these three responses because one is like a loophole finder. You know, one, one is like, oh, I did nothing wrong. Technically, it says here, you can see in subparagraph B, that if nobody tries to kick me out after three weeks, the apartment is technically mine. So, like, he's <laughs> legally right, but it's like, dude. It says a lot about their characters, actually. Yeah. And then and then the one, the woman in the middle is like a true believer. She's a passionate missionary. She's like, it's, it's not lies. It's true. You know, it, Tron does live. And then uh, the other ones are just a liar. <laughs> it was just like, oh, I. I have no idea who these people are. And that's probably like matching helmets for never met before. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Matching custom helmets. Uh, we are all part of a club clearly, but I've never met them before. So, but these are probably the top three of, I imagine if you asked a police officer or a detective, these are probably the top, you know, the top three criminal responses that get, you know, played out in interrogations. I would think. Yeah. Right. That the, I did nothing wrong. Or the screw you, I believe in what I stand for. Or the what, I was never there. I I had no idea what happened nine months ago on July the sixteenth. You know, like so. <laughs> but uh, the program walks in to the bubble prison, spins the liar's body around, pulls off his disc, looks at it, sees that he is in fact a lying liar pants who is lying. <laughs> 
And uh, this is, well, obviously this is Beck, but I think, is he wearing a stealth suit that we haven't seen before? Or is well, he... it's got a red circuitry rather than the traditional white blue kind of thing. So uh... is, he, is he borrowing Trons maybe? I, I, I feel like, I don't know. Like I, I don't I know mean, how it all works. Is this, because you can't really borrow somebody's clothes, right? So I think, is this like a Ben 10 situation where he's been given the ability to like switch yes, exactly he's switch skins like he's 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 upped his access to different skins kind of thing i, I think that's yeah that's how i prefer to look at it yeah so he's just making sure they're for real right he's just he's just harshing them out a little bit turns on his white tron suit and tells them to take off their masks so we meet moog and moog and rasket is the british God, that's a terrible name moog well it's got at least computer connections, you know? It does. It does, yeah. So Rasket, uh, kind of like Picard, I guess, that he's got a French name and a British accent because he's like, it's pronounced <laughs> Rasquet. But I'm like, you you don't sound French. And then <laughs> I don't want to blow your mind, but the third one of the Jolly Tricksters is holy moly, it's Mara. Oh, never saw that coming. Never. Well, I didn't. I was Well, didn't I? I don't know. Maybe I did. I'm happy to see it anyway. But but yeah, Moog is a, a totally computer-related name. Moog Music was founded in 1953 in Carolina, and Dr. Robert Moog was the inventor of the Moog synthesizer. Oh, It's an right. analog and modular, which means, if I'm not mistaken, that it was a sound manipulator that wasn't uh, digital in the way that we know that term now. But he started out designing theremins, but then started designing more complex synthesizers, with the help of, like, I've, I've got a list of names here, Herb Deutsch, Richard Teitelbaum, Vladimir Usachevsky. But the other person that helped him build the world's first synthesizers was Wendy Carlos. Oh, and she's a the, familiar name. the composer of the soundtrack for 1982's Tron. So there's a huge tie in there because Moog is still the name in synthesizers. I mean, there's like... Yeah, you Moog is Moog is like one of those, you know, high water marks of technology that is still worshipped. You know, hmm. mythical. So it's cool that that name actually has. But a rasket. Another. I, think, I was going to say another costume. Now I just remembered was uh, the only women on the grid who cover up their arms usually, uh, the sirens. Almost, not, especially the named female characters. They've all got kind of the short sleeve thing or like there's a gap between the sleeve and the shoulder. Yeah, you got to show your shoulders. It's something we've noticed in um, The Mandalorian that we've been watching as well. It's just like, wow, women just don't cover their shoulders in this universe, I guess. There's like, there's a lot yeah. of bare, bare shoulders going on. And uh, so it's, it's no different here. There's something about it, something about a bare shoulder that uh, kind of is... is costume code i think for a woman i don't know hmm. i mean he's more feminine i suppose yeah but uh rasket i think is just a cool sounding name because it seems to be a type of bicycle basket that you might stick a bunch of baguettes in with on your way home from the bakery <laughs> it's not very computery it does mean scratch in spanish apparently hmm. rasket and uh, Rasket slash Rasque, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, he's probably the only character who somewhat resembles his voice actor. So that is uh, kind of, I, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or what. 
Oh, I doubt it. I think once in a while they might want to just mask, uh, like just match it up. Oh, okay. What's his name? What's what's the name of his? Jack Houston. Yeah, that's the one, and he's related to uh, Angelica Houston. And, oh my God! And all of them. That's the guy that plays Richard Harrow on the HBO television drama series Boardwalk Empire. Oh shit! Yeah, he did that too because he's got the weird uh, uh, I can't say it messed up face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's so yeah. good in Boardwalk Empire. He's so so good. That Richard Harrow is. Uh, one of the best characters I've ever seen on television. So he's doing the voice of Raskin. Fantastic. Yeah. That's really good. Okay, cool. I'm glad we uh I'm glad we went down that that roll there. Okay, cool. But uh I think at this point Beck was going to say maybe take off his mask, but now that Mara is one of the jolly tricksters, um he can't <laughs> so i think he's got to like you know you show me yours and oh my gosh i cannot show you mine i think uh, i think <laughs> something like that happened there so but mara's like the renegade and i are old friends so it seems like rasket still thinks that the renegade is an imposter but they're all super down to join the team they're like put me in coach let's do this and i feel she's got a crush a little crush uh, I feel like we've seen Moog and Raskett's faces before in the grid in the background, but I don't know if I'm if my mind's playing tricks on me or not. I sort of feel like that would be cool. They've been a, they had a cameo before. I'd have to go back and check. But uh, yeah, Mars. I mean, it's not. They would have been designing characters all up front, so they could just pick them out and use them for background stuff. Sure, but yeah, like you said, Mara's pretty obviously in love with the Renegade at this point. So they agree to meet. She's also such a space invader. She's getting creeping up on him and he's backing away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just tell her that you're uh, the renegade. I don't know why this is a problem. No. There's certain things that at this point in the series, you're like, you know what? The jig is up. It's okay. Yeah. What's going to happen? What's going to change? Abel knows. You know, what is she going to tell other people at the garage? She can keep a secret. She's part of the Jolly Pranksters and you had no idea, right? Like, so, but they agree to meet here at the beginning of the next cycle. So we get this hilarious sequence where we cut to Tron headquarters and Beck and Tron are talking, but Tron is hilariously running on a treadmill on the ceiling for no reason. Well, uh, it's it's, it's to cool. Test um to see if you um anyway look over there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, ankle tendon elasticity tensile strength. Uh, that's what your. Uh... Did you hear that? I think my mother's calling me. Bye. <laughs> uh, but Beck is like sniffing around trying to find out if he was Tron's first choice. He's like, "You are my. Uh... I was your your first choice, right?" And Tron is all like, "Yep, hundred percent. You sure were." So he's being a big old liar for some reason. I guess Beck's kind of lying too by omission after not telling him. There's a real, there's a secret there now that they're not talking about that they probably should. But anyway. I don't know. I'm suddenly reminded of all these stories I've heard where uh, someone's asking their parents. So I was your first child. Yeah. Because there's situations where, oh God, this happens way more often than you think. People are, they date someone. 
and either one or both of them are adopted. And then it turns out, oh, actually, that's your uh, older sister uh, that I gave right. up for adoption when I was 16 or something. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just, I was your first, right? <laughs> <laughs> when we first met each other, we just clicked. We had so much in common. It's like we were from the same pair of parents or something. Yeah. <laughs> I am so freaked, not to go too, too much of a tangent, but I'm so freaked out when couples look like they could be siblings. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like, what does that say about these people that they just, they're such narcissists? So yeah, it's a little eerie sometimes when that happens. So the next day, Beck is breaking it down for the happy tricksters there. He says that the renegade will infiltrate Tesla's ship to get a data cube. While the text, while the tricksters create a diversion, graffitiing up the city, while Tesla's ship charges up, they're not too into it. But Mara gives them a speech to win them over. They're like, "I want to break into Tesla's ship," and the renegade's like, "You will get eaten alive. Not a chance. You create a diversion to divert the guards. I'll do the the search and destroy inside. I'll do. I'll be doing the covert ops. You're juniors." <laughs> And Mara's like, yeah, we're juniors. Get it through your thick heads, guys. Ain't that right, Renegade? Ain't that right, huh? Let's have a snuggle. <laughs> She's really... <laughs> so thirsty, so yeah, keen. So thirsty, so keen. So we cut to the massive power station docking pylons jutting up out of the city. These like six... By the way, sorry, I just love the way she's sitting as well when they're having their little meeting and the other two are just, eh, whatever. And she's just sitting in a perfect posture. Oh, this is the best. He's yeah. talking to me. Yeah. She's living, living her best life right there. She's definitely... <laughs> but I love these... Uh, she is adorable. She's so she's so adorable and she's so, yeah, she's so into him. And she's met him. Like now she's actually... Oh my God, we're in a band. <laughs> we're, t- <laughs> we're basically together. We're basically going out. You know, like, yeah. We're basically married. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we cut to these massive power station docking pylons that are coming up into the, jutting up like giant black skyscrapers with sh- shiny black skyscrapers with red tops. Oh, I just love them. They're so massive. We've never seen them before. And they're just like, oh, okay. So these are a thing. And then, uh, yeah, Tesla ship's going to, connect with them like a dirigible right Mm. this is this this episode and the last episode are just like new thing new thing new thing new thing instead of like just they really are not wasting any opportunity to do something new visually and and it's just it's it's so creative and just ah why did the show only get one season i'm so mad i wonder if they knew by now that they would have a finite existence I wonder if they were like, oh, we've got four episodes left. Well, let's put everything in. I wonder if that is. I know with shows nowadays, it it is very much a case of they basically do half a season and then it's sort of up in the air whether you get the whole season or not. Whereas back then, I think it probably would have been commission a whole season. Then we'll see where we go. Yeah. So... you know, with extenuating circumstances happening here and there, I'm sure. Like Glow, right? Like Glow had shot three episodes of season three or whatever when they're like, nope, there's not going to be a season three. Mm. And they're like, there plainly is. We've shot three episodes. And they're like, there's <laughs> not going to be a season three. And they're like, well, shoot. So. God, that would be the worst. Oh, it would suck so bad. It's such a good cast. Anyway. 
My main. Yeah, I need to get on that. I really hope that none of the tricksters get derezzed. Because mm. they look great and they just met back, so it doesn't bode well. <laughs> no. <laughs> look at these beautifully realized characters that just met back. Oh, no, they're going to die. Always the way. Always the way. The inside of this, they crawl into this space when they're going into the. Um, I don't know what we're what, what we calling this space here. I don't even know this tower. Um, but it looks like I don't know the inside of a computer or something. Maybe a camera, actually. I don't know what they're using as reference. Yeah, well, this is like it's what was also on the inside of the uh, the top secret project that uh, yeah. I think that, uh, that Dyson was working on. It's just a pastiche. It's just got all these beautiful pastels. I think if I'm, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's just pipes and wires. It looks like maybe a hard disk, you know, random gears. It's just like stuff, but it's all beautifully simply rendered, you know, little wires here and there and stuff, but it looks like the inside of something. Every frame a painting, every frame, every frame a, frame a, a, a wallpaper. I want yeah. to put this <laughs> yeah. on my screen. Every frame a desktop. Definitely. Yeah. So Beck is circling Tesla's ship in his glider and uh, graffiti starts showing up throughout the city. The ship aligns its power sockets with the charges and then Moog and Rasket ditch Mara. They've got something special in store. They're going off book. Ooh, geez. So meanwhile, Beck is in Tesla's ship looking for the data cube, and then he finds it. But yeah, so now the Shark Face crew is inside the red vents and guts of Tesla's ship. And you've got All right, this... so I got too far ahead. Yeah, Sorry. That's okay. You've got this beautiful interior concept art, uh, like you said. It's just so hard to stop letting the video play because it just looks so good. <laughs> it's just so amazing. But then, yeah, the whole team puts on their silver gloves and uh, gets to work. So Mara's biting her nails when... She's at the meetup spot, the rendezvous point where, where Beck is going to meet them. And uh, Beck's like, so where are they? And she's like, well, they're on Tesla's ship. And he's like, okay, go home and I'll take care of this. But she says, no way. I know what they're going to do and you don't. So you have to take me. So she, uh, she finagles her way. And then so he doubles her on his glider. And uh, she is probably in heaven at this point. She's got her arms around him. She's snuggled up to him. They're literally flying. She's like, ah, my gosh. <laughs> Fangirling. Oh, yeah. This is like Lois Lane being taken for a for a flyby from Superman or something like that. So Paige is reporting. Which, by the way, is still the best scene in any superhero movie. Yeah. Great stuff. Really, really yeah. good stuff. So Paige is reporting to Tesla uh, when it's revealed that the entire bottom of Tesla's ship is now covered in drawn graffiti and it's being shown to the entire city as it flies over. It's like it's like Tesla's Tesla's ship just like its underpants fell off or something like that. He's being super the the undercarriage is just being shown to the whole city covered in Tron lives graffiti. This is uh, bad news for for uh, for Tesla. Very embarrassing. Yeah, he's like, where is it coming from? Uh, I think it's coming from us. Yeah, that's so good. Like reflected in the tops of the buildings. The shark crew is leaving when they get cornered by Pavel and the guards. And Pavel's Pavel's got a great moment here where he's like, what are you two grinning for? (laughs) I guess they've got the big... Want, want. Okay, I love when he has the wall-eyed thing going on. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. (laughs) 
So he takes them to a chamber littered with derezzed cubes. This whole chamber is a new thing too. There's a couple of torture chairs in the chamber and one of the the chairs has a gray program already in it, but it's like he's made of ash or stone or something. Yeah, that was really interesting. So Pavel lifts up his chin and he disintegrates into cubes and he's all like, did he scream? And a guard is like, yes, sir. <laughs> and he's like, good. So it's, uh, I don't know what happens in this, but it's like it, uh, yeah, like it's, it's like it sucks everything out of you and leaves just a, an ashen husk behind that crumbles at the first touch. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly is going on here. But Raskit and Moog both get put into a chair. And they've got a... Wonder... a... Well, I guess you can't really freeze or burn anyone on the grid. But no. I guess you can damage the body to a point where they're not instantly derez, but whatever, petrified by some means. Or just, yeah, like, kind of like... Um... Like if you make a stem cell a stem cell structure mm. for a heart, then you can grow a heart around it. Yeah. But but those uh, those I don't know. This is, this is probably scientists listening to this that are like, what the heck are you talking about? But I just remember <laughs> you, you can make a sort of a, a scaffold that real meat can grow around. Right. So this is like all the meat's been removed and now you're left now is just the the really flimsy scaffolding of a program so you've got oh, this sort of that could work this gray husk all the meat's been taken off right this is their, their equivalent of a of a i guess a skeleton if you did die in the wilderness and you ran out of power and you were near a source that would leech power from you would you eventually become this that makes sense. Head right. cannon accepted. Yeah, so you wouldn't you wouldn't just die and then immediately derez. You derez if you get hit in the middle of the chest with a disc, but if you just faded away somewhere, I think this is what would end up happening to you. <laughs> so they've got a cool diving bell over the top with some like coils that light up like an electric stove. So it sort of looks a little like Abel's thing over his desk, only it's like red and sinister instead of blue and calming. So I don't I don't know, but yeah. Pavel fires it up and he asks them to reveal their leader while Mara and Beck are Batmanning again up top, <laughs> just hanging out inside this top secret torture chamber. Like they just snuck up there. It's great. I love it. Also, there's a great. This whole room is, is very detailed as well. Yeah, it's very well realized. It's not just a, uh, you know, lightly touched on. It's very, it's, it's very well realized. And I really like that Pavel is wearing jodhpurs. Yeah, I've been meaning to mention that a few times. I'm trying to figure out how exactly they work because <laughs> is it a, a front sort of tapered thing of his jacket, coat, whatever you want to call it, or or is that part of his pants? It's I think very it's, hard to tell. I think it's part of his pants, like horse riding pants. I think that's supposed to be like uh, elite and aristocratic. Jod Purser for riding horses, right? I have this. I have this thing in yeah. my head that they're a they're a horse riding accoutrement. Yes, they are, and I, I, they just they work for him so well. It's just this kind of sh visual shorthand that tells you a lot about this character. Yeah, and I think I also see them as quasi-military. So I think there's kind of a there's kind of a military dress, aristocratic, elite horse riding kind of a kind of a thing. There's some. Mm. <laughs> and then he's got oh. the real slicked back or slicked down hair, which 
it's kind of 1920s, but then they've brushed it forward so that he's a little bit more yeah. humorous. It's yeah. just everything about it says villain. Yeah, but you're right. There's a 1920s thing going on with his hair there too. So, yeah, this especially thing. with that kind of real intense Peaky Blinders cut short. Yeah, look. yeah, and the brill cream kind of finish. He's got a real, uh, yeah, he's got some some snobbery happening, I believe. Yeah. So Mara and Beck just straight up push over the torture tower and free Moog and Rasket only to come across Paige and some guards. And one thing that's really cool there is uh, Rasket is permanently damaged from the torture chair. Yeah. He's got this like this right hand now that's just not there. He's got like a ghost hand now that just kind of his arm kind of fades into nothing except for some blue suggestions of fingers at the end. It's so cool. I didn't know this kind of. I don't think of... he can interact with anything with it anymore. Yeah, can he catch a ball, or will it just go through his hand? I don't. I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't know, and it's not glitching. It's just permanently at fifty percent now, and it's like it goes, you know, gradient down to transparency, starting at his elbow, which I just love. I just love. Oh no! So he, when he puts that parachute thing on, it goes right through the arm. Oh, it does. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to watch it. I can't adjust the speed. It happens real quick, <laughs> so but it gotta, looks right. No, yeah, it loops right through that arm, so there's nothing there anymore, okay. basically. That would be the worst. You'd get such phantom limb because you oh, can yeah. see your hand, yeah. but you can't interact with anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, no, that would be a really bad fate in the grid. So Raskit and Moog are cool with abandoning the renegade to his own devices, but Mara's like, no. And uh, a, a, <laughs> a giant recognizer blocks their escape path. And Mara shoots it with the purple graffiti lightsaber thing that she had. So it ends up covering its view screen so it can't see where it's going. And it, which it, is clever. Which is clever. And it drives into a row of parked recognizers. <laughs> and they tip over like a bunch of motorcycles or Harley Davidsons at a biker bar in a movie kind of thing. Just kank, kank, kank. And apparently uh, they're all filled with gasoline because they, uh, they, all, they all explode. <laughs> Holy explode. Yeah. Um, we seem to be fascinated by destruction and an injury in this show, just seeing how it all works. Well, yeah, because now all these broken recognizers are on fire and they're burning with like blue code flames. They're burning with little like, like the, like the matrix code, except it's blue and it's a fire. Yeah. And I'm like, what is ex- like, no, but seriously, what, what is exactly happening right now? <laughs> like, What's what's the what's what's actually happening? This is why I love the grid. I don't understand what's going on, but it it intrigues me. I sure like the look of it, right? <laughs> yeah. What is that line from? Um, oh God, uh, Knives Out, where it's like, "Don't make any sense." Compels me though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know art, but I know what I like. Yeah, that's what I know too. So Paige watches the renegade get away in his glider, and she's standing on top of this pile of wreckage and meanwhile the jolly tricksters leap off the edge i really hope that one day i have the opportunity to stand in front of an explosion <laughs> or some fire and just stand and up on a real high place look down look like an absolute badass yeah i want that opportunity glower at whatever's departing you know i want to yeah i want that opportunity too yeah so the jolly tricksters leap off the edge with their parachutes and mara doesn't and she doesn't have a parachute but she gets knocked off by a chopper bullet with uh, no parachute and she falls unconscious into the air. So there's this giant closing, there's this giant door that's irising closed and there's just a, 
It's too small for the glider to get out, but he's being chased by a couple of recognizers. So he does the same cool trick that he did in the, the light cycle battle on the, on the prairie with Tron in the scars part one there. He derezzes yeah. his, he derezzes his glider slips through naked into the open air and then dives down, you know, becoming, becoming a hawk streamlining himself. So he dives down to catch Mara before he fires up his glider again to save Superhero her pose. Superhero pose. But then he, uh, so that the two recognizers bonk into the, into the, um, the closing door and immediately explode because they too are filled with gasoline. And, uh, so she wakes up in Beck's arms on the glider. So if she was in love before, she's really in love now. Yeah. yeah. This is uh pretty, pretty, uh pretty you know, this is an atom bomb of of uh affection that's probably going off in her heart right now. <laughs> so Raskin and Moog now realize that they are dumbasses and they are way over their head and they had the wrong idea. They acknowledge that they're not good enough to be part of the Tron army. Raskit still That's has... That's what surprised me. They were just like, well, you know what? You have a point. We were dumbasses. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> well, it reminds me of those... I'll never forget those two uh, light cycle racers in the tunnels way back in like episode three or four or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, guys, you should get out of here. A bomb's going off. And they're like, oh, sounds great. Thanks for the advice. Bye. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, so... It seems like quite often in this show, programs are like, man, good advice. Thank you. I guess that's how they differ from humans. They're a little bit more logical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, but Raskit still has the ghost hand. So I don't know if he's just going to like wear a glove or something. Like, how do you like just keep that a secret? The next time Pavel sees him, it's going to be like, oh, it's the ghost hand guy that I tortured. Yeah. Maybe he can fix it in a healing chamber. I don't know. Or a move to Pergos, where there's a... Uh, yeah, you just got to move after that, I guess. Yeah, his name's uh, John Smith, and he lives in Pergos. Oh, yeah, my mother was missing a hand. That's why I'm missing a hand. Yeah. <laughs> but Mara says, this is kind of, this is mean. Mara says, yeah, yeah, I'm still in, though, right? You and me, renegade. You and me against the world. I'm still Team Tron. Screw those guys. I'm on your side. And Beck has to say, you're useless to me without your friends. Go home. Ooh, hush. Cold. That is cold. Well, Tron did say, you know, the harder I push, the more you wanted to join me. So Yeah, he feels bad about it. Tron says he made the right call. But uh, it ends It ends with her still doing Tron Lives graffiti, except without Raskit and... Uh, and Moog. So, I mean... Now, it's just, now she's, like, refuting Tron's a dick all the <laughs> No, now it's Tron, Heart, Mara, I think, everywhere. <laughs> Tron plus Mara. True love, if erased, forever. <laughs> but, yeah, Beck's whole thing was, oh, I'm not willing to put her life on the line. Coward, you know, well, you've got to take risks in this war, man. <laughs> I think it's also, like, I don't want her to know that I'm the renegade still. Mm, which is coward. again yeah i'm like dude it's time it's time you know where are we yeah right we now? are 14 episodes in come on yeah you guys got canceled you've only got another few episodes just let her know <laughs> you yeah know? but i love what this episode says you know it says this sort of it says that talented programs can reprogram things like not just their own suits 
or to make a program evil, but to like mess up buildings with vandalism. Yeah, or that we see Dyson having detective mode. Yeah. Or we've seen a few examples where more experienced or more talented programs seem to be able to modify their reality in a way others can't. Yeah, like the Stranger's Prison in the last episode. That was like, whoa, what? What can you do? In Apparently this? you can do that. Apparently yeah. you can do that. So, But this is the first time we've seen like, well, we've seen Paige play music, but this is the first time we've seen like visual art. And visual street art, you know, like tagging, like graffiti tagging, and I, I just, I just love this addition to this, uh, to this world. It's not all. I'd love to see more art. In yeah, coming from programs. Very much so. Yeah, like I'd like to see an episode where they, I don't know, someone kidnaps like a famous artist, and they have to rescue the famous artist, or something like that. Like, or just a plot involving a famous artist, you know, or like the, yeah, the famous artist comes to, to Argon and all the programs are like, Oh geez, you know? All right, let's put it in season two. Season two. There we go. Yep. So this episode and the last episode were really the one, two punch that uh, took me from liking this series to loving this series. It was, uh, the art direction's good. The writing's great. The performances are top notch and the, the, the enriching of the lore of the grid incredible just incredible yeah i'm thinking back to the episodes that so far that have really stood out the scars and the one with mm. uh lux and yeah yeah it just gets better and better there's a real consistent escalation yeah it's like it was just it was really building up a good head of steam that's why kind of what happened to it is all the more tragic but we got what we got at least we didn't get yeah. nothing so true happy i'm happy to be doing this so I guess Anytron uh, is good Tron. Anytron is good Tron. I'm a big believer in that. But that takes us to the end of episode 14. See you next time for episode 15. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Animatronic. I've been Duncan Shields. And I have been Courtney Colson. And tune in next time for another episode of Animatronic. End, end of, of line. line.